Welcome to the study of the book of Acts, also found on The Evangelism Podcast, available on all social media platforms. This is Johnny Gaston. I serve the local churches in South Alabama as an equipping evangelist, also the president and founder of Reach My City. Each week, I will teach verse by verse through the book of Acts, a powerful historical account documented by the Apostle Luke. 30 years of exploits of the early church. A relentless advancement of the kingdom of God on the earth through believers filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Join me now as we take a closer look together into this section of the Bible. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for the Bible study. And uh, we are in the book of Acts. In fact, in fact we're still in chapter 1, by the way. Yep. Verses 1 through 11. Everyone's like... Johnny, you've been there for three weeks. That's okay. This is the last week in verse 11. Uh, we will actually be moving on next week. But anyway, my name is Johnny Gaston, and I'm a local evangelist in the uh, South Alabama area. It's my buddy, my teaching partner, Jake Awarda, who is also an evangelist who reached my city. And so uh, we do this for the simple fact that we know that the book of Acts is uh, just one of those uh, books that's almost like a uh, fire starter, if you will. That's the best way I can put it. It's something that will just jumpstart you. Uh, you know, you, you heard of the, def the defibrillators in the, in the hospital, you know, when someone's dying or, you know, they, they put those things on your, on your chest and they yep. shock you back to life. In a lot of ways, the book of Acts is like a defibrillator, you know, just really you, you look into it and see the power of uh, the proclamation of the gospel going forth and then speaking the, the word of God boldly uh, in the face of such opposition, even, even in the face of death. Um, and giving their lives for, for the cause of Christ. So we do this. Uh, we go live here on Facebook, and then it's uploaded on YouTube. That YouTube page is called Reach My City Evangelism. You can also go to our podcast, which is called The Bible Study with Johnny Gaston, and you can access all this. And then while we're going through it, you can go to Version, which is an app. It's a Bible app, which Jake has on right now. And you simply type in Reach My City on the events section, and you can get all of the notes for the Bible study. So all the things I'm going to mention through the Bible study, you can get access to that. Without further ado, um, I want to get into kind of a recap of what we spoke about last week, and then we're going to pray and get right into the text tonight. So last week was about the resurrection of Christ. And then before that, of course, uh, we talked about Theophilus, and we talked about uh, how, how Luke wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And so we got all the way to the point of... Um, you know, the resurrected Christ. So Christ died. On the third day, He rose from the dead, defeating death, hell, and the grave. And then He resurrected from the grave, right? And He appeared to the disciples, to 500 witnesses. Um, and He was with them for 40 days. And uh, then we get to the ascension, and that's where we're at now. So we have the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, the appearing of the resurrected Christ, and now we're at the ascension of Christ, which is actually found in verse 9 of chapter 1. And so if you're reading the book of Luke, which Luke wrote, of course, and then Luke wrote the book of Acts as well, uh, these two books are, uh, they just flow right in together. And so at the end of the book of Luke, you have Christ appearing. This is one of the, uh, the evidences or the proofs that is mentioned in Acts chapter 1 where it says that he was with them for 40 days, showing them many infallible proofs such as Thomas being able to touch his scars and his hands and his side. Uh, also, of course, 500 witnesses seeing him, uh, Mary Magdalene, uh, all, the, all the disciples uh, saw the resurrected Christ. And then Paul, the Apostle Paul, of course, 
saw the resurrected Christ as well, which made him an apostle. Um, so what we have now is we have the part where Christ is going to ascend, and he gives them instructions on what to do right after that happens. However, there's something that happens as a reminder to them that they need to go ahead and do it now. Yes. <laughs> Don't wait any longer. So we're going to be reading in Acts chapter 1, um, verses 1 through uh, verse 11, focusing in on verse 9 tonight. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up, take some notes. We're going to be speaking on several issues tonight, getting into depth about why Christ had to ascend. Um, so we're going to get right into that. Jake, if you will, lead us in prayer. Absolutely. Father, I want to thank you, God, for assembling us all together, Lord. Where two or three are gathered together in your name, there you are in the midst of us. Father, I just ask, Lord, that, uh, Lord, as we dive deep into your word, that you would uh, sanctify us, Lord, in your truth, for your word is truth. Father, as we uh, study your word and divide it, Father, may you take us out of the way and fill us, Lord, with your spirit. And, uh, Lord, I pray that you be with those who are watching online as well as those who are gathered here together. Lord, let not the enemy steal the word that is sown in their hearts, but let us all be gathered together as one, as one body in Christ, uh, filled with your spirit, uh, feeding and being edified by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Acts chapter 1, we're going to be reading verse 1. It says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach, until the day that he had been taken up. After that, he had given commands through the Holy Spirit. To the apostles which he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them in his suffering, or after his suffering, by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days, and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise. Notice that, to wait for the promise of the Father. We're going to be talking about that here in just a minute. Which he had said that you'd heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will at this time you be restoring the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that my Father has fixed in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Verse 10, And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So focusing in on the promise of the Father um, tonight, what, what is that promise of the Father, Jay? promise of the Father is what He promised um, the disciples. And if you go back to the book of John, you'll notice that it, it was important for Jesus to go away. It, was, it would be beneficial to the disciples that Jesus were to, to go away at that time. You know, if you, if you look through the... Uh, the, the Gospels, you'll see many times where the enemy tried to thwart Jesus, uh, his death, his burial, his resurrection. He, I, I read this as a as a devotional this morning, where you, you note the note the wilderness when Jesus was hungry right. and and he tried to make the the stones and make a, uh, the tempter came to Jesus and said, well, my, why don't you make these stones bread? And uh, all these kingdoms of the world, I can give it to you. 
You see, the, the tempter knew what Jesus was after, but yet he took, um, he, he wasn't going to get it from the enemy. He was going to inherit it already from the Father. And we see it, we see it in Judas Iscariot when he knew that uh, Judas was going to betray him. But yet Judas Iscariot was already filled with Satan, not the demons, but Satan himself to try and overthrow to stop Jesus' death from happening. But it happened anyway, and Jesus was filled with, filled with the Satan himself to be um, to be betrayed by Christ, to be to betray Christ, and then you have um, well the crucifixion, the disciples Peter when he tried to stop Christ from being taken away, but yet Jesus confronted him, uh, get thee behind me, Satan, because Jesus already knew what he had to do. He came for a purpose. That purpose was to die on a cross for his people to be ascended up into heaven with his Father. And that is evident, and that has to be the plan for the Spirit to come and to assist disciples in the gospel work of the kingdom. Absolutely. So the promise of the Father is the Spirit coming, the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about that today. In fact, part of our focus on verse 9 is the reason why Christ had to ascend uh, into heaven. We see verse 9 says, and this is the, the document, the written account of his ascension. It says, and when they had said these things, or when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, men, two men, stood by them in robes, white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same manner as you saw him go into heaven. So you have here literal angels that stood by uh, these men who are gazing into heaven. And what they're watching is they're literally watching the ascension of the King of glory and all of his majesty. Could you imagine what that looked like? I mean, we read it quickly. We see he's taken up in a cloud. And we just gloss over that. We don't think about what did that experience, what was it like? Well, of course, we don't have details of what it was like. I wish that they may have described it to us, but we know this, that when he comes back, it's going to be an amazing event <laughs> when Christ splits the sky, <laughs> when the archangel shall sound the trumpet and Christ will come. That event, every eye will see him and behold his glory. And in the same way, he's coming back, as the scriptures say here, that event, the ascension, had to be a glorious event. I mean, I wish it was a little bit more descriptive, but I, I can only imagine, you know, the disciples standing there, gazing into the heavens, and all of a sudden, angels are standing there, and they say, men of Galilee. I mean, that, that might have startled them. <laughs> you're gazing at something, you're looking at the beauty and the majesty and the glory of Christ, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the uh, the Lord of glory, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Everything was made for Him and by Him and for His purposes and for His glory. He rules the nations with a rod of iron. He's being lifted up into glory. And all of a sudden, you know, you've been distracted before. You know, you're like looking at something and someone goes, Hey! And you're like, huh? Think about it. Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into the heavens? Uh, kind of an odd question. I mean... For me, I'd be like, do you not see what just happened? Christ has been, yeah. he's ascended into heaven. That's why we're looking up. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason. But here the inference is, the angels are saying, do what he said. Yeah. Get busy. Go do what he said. And that is to go to Jerusalem and to not leave the upper room until the, the promise of the Father, which is that the Holy Spirit would come, happens. 
And so here it is. This is really the birth of the church here. We're going to get into Acts chapter 2. But I want to read this uh, just to kind of give you a contrast of what I'm talking about. Let's go to John chapter 16, verse 7. John chapter 16, verse 7. And we're also going to hit chapter 14 as well. John chapter 16, verse 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, the Helper. Now John 14, verse 2 says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. Now, first of all, what we see here in John chapter 16, verse 7, says here that unless I go, then the Holy Spirit cannot come. Now, what's the benefit of the Holy Spirit coming? And then we're going to talk about Christ preparing a place for us, which is one of the best parts in Absolutely. this. But here I want to focus in where it says that the, the promise of the Father is coming, and then verse 9 where Christ, you know, of course, ascends, because that right there is the part where we see the Holy Spirit is going to come because now Christ is ascending. Now the promise is coming, okay? Because we're going to get to that. And everybody is excited about us getting to Acts chapter 2. We're going to get there, but we need to see why. Why Acts chapter 2 needs to happen and how it does happen. All right, so first of all, what's the importance of the Holy Spirit coming? First of all, we talked about this before. The transition from the Old Testament into the New Testament is that the power of God displayed on the earth was by God literally anointing a man. So we, we've heard that word anointed. That word anointed is to be set apart to do the work of God and to be empowered, enabled to do it, right? The boldness to do it. And so we're talking about miracles. You know, all the miracles of the Old Testament, um, such as the splitting of the Red Sea, uh, these you know, great and mighty miracles um, were done because God anointed the person to do it. Well, in the New Testament, as we transition, now the Holy Spirit's going to come and going to actually indwell believers. So it's not like just one person is going to be isolated, and that person is going to be given the power and the abilities to do the work of God. But now all of us collectively now, as the church of Jesus Christ, all have that same power at one time. I mean, we've, we have the power, the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead dwells inside of us. That's an amazing thought. Now, as we get into thinking about the Holy Spirit and what, it, what His jobs are, for, for lack of better terminology, let's go over some of them. The Holy Spirit is a helper, as Christ said just a few moments ago. He teaches and reminds. In John chapter 14, verses 26, Jesus told His disciples, The Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Once again, that's John 14, 26. So the first thing is that the Holy Spirit will lead you in all truth. So in, in a sense, we don't need a man to, to teach us the truth. However, God has in His foreknowledge, in His, in His sovereignty, and in His provision, He knew that the church is going to need pastors and elders and teachers and evangelists, right? And all of these were given for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry and to edify them and to, to guide them and guard them. and uh, All these things we see in the church today, we see that a pastor is a shepherd, right, of the flock, to shepherd people's lives, literally to guard them from false 
teaching, also to shepherd them in, in terms of growing up in the Lord and discipleship and growth, spiritual maturity, um, maybe even decision-making in their life. Uh, when a person even feels maybe even like led to be called to ministry in, in terms of vocational ministry, then that person would have a pastor in their life that can kind of help guide them through that, that process. But the local pastor and the local assembly, the local church gathered together as one body. However, it's made up with many members, and those many members have different giftings and talents and strengths, um, where someone might have the strength of service. Uh, another person might have the strength of encouragement. Another one might have the strength of administration. Um, there's so many other you know, strengths we see, but, but they all come together to work together as a body. And the reason why that's important is because, you know, the body has so many different parts. And each of them have their own role and function. You think to yourself, if we didn't have a pinky toe, you know, would that really affect us? And it actually would. Huge. In a huge way. Your balance would be so far off because that last toe wasn't there. I mean, it's actually said uh, that they were showing you someone had, it was missing several different you know, toes and how it actually threw people off of balance from standing up and, and how it affects the rest of the body. And they were talking about other parts of the body that were missing that people maybe lost an arm or a hand or an eye or, you know, maybe they'd gone blind or whatever it is. If one of the part of the body is affected, it immediately affects all the other parts of the body. And so all these body parts all come together and they're all important, right? The, the hand can't say, well, because well, I'm not an eye, I'm not important. <laughs> No, because without the hand, we couldn't grab. We couldn't reach and, and, and grab anything. We couldn't you know, reach out and lift someone up. And there's so many functions of the hand. Uh, I could mention a hundred of them. Uh, yeah, the eyes function is very important. The hand is as well. So we can't say, well, because I'm not an evangelist or a pastor or something like that, I'm really not an important part of the body. All I can do good is like, encourage people. Well, I don't know about you, but I need encouragement daily from people. And if you're a Barnabas, if you're an encourager, God's gifted you with that. He's given you a heart to encourage people, to lift people up, to say a word of encouragement or edification to people as you are with them. If your strength is hospitality, then you are to be hospitable. And you're to do it for the Lord, for His glory, and also to, and, and by means of sharing the gospel, make people feel welcome when they come into the body of Christ. There's so many strengths there that, that the Spirit of God gifts people with. And we're going to talk about that here in a minute because that's a part of the functioning role of the Holy Spirit. But here... As he teaches us and brings us into all truth, okay, through the Word of God, as we read it, we understand that, and it's been said before, how, how can you get nothing out of reading God's Word? It's easy. Just read it with a prideful heart. Yep. The Word of God is, is spiritually discerned. The Bible says that the carnal mind receives not the things of God, nor can they know them. Yep. They're like hidden to them. The, the Bible says in, in Corinthians that the enemy has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers that they might not see the glorious gospel. It's amazing when a person becomes humble, they're able to, their eyes are open. That song, Amazing Grace, I once was blind, now I see. I once was lost, now I'm found. You know, it was said before that there was a, a guy who uh, was in his 30s and he had a young family and he told his wife, he was searching for answers, he told his wife, he said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start reading the Bible. So uh, he got alone in a room and he began to read the Bible. He got out after several hours and the wife said, what, what did you think? And he said, if, if that book is true, I'm lost. 
I'm lost. Several days pass by. He, he gets in the room again. He, he starts to read the Bible again. Hours later, his wife comes to him and says, what, what did you think this time? And he said, if, if that book is true, I can be saved. I can be found. And then once again, it happens again. He gets in a room and he begins to read the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit's doing this work in him, right? He sees himself as lost. Now he sees himself that he could be found. He sees a Savior's there. After many hours, the wife comes back up to him and says, well, what do you think this time? And he says, if this book is true, I'm saved. <laughs> I am, I'm found. That's Christ right. is saved just through reading the Scriptures. God had opened the eyes of his understanding and just being along with the Scriptures. He, he came to life, from death to life. God transformed him from the power of, of, of darkness to the power of, uh, to the, the, God's Word says, from the uh, dominion of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved Son. I mean, transformed from death to life. From the old man, a slave to sin, to the slave to righteousness, just from reading God's Word. Amen. It's spiritually discerned. And then here's what, what we're saying is the Holy Spirit is a helper to bring you into truth. However, God does have that place for the pastors and the teachers and, and evangelists and elders, uh, biblical elders and, and deacons to serve in the church and to help teach and disciple you. However, the Holy Spirit has that main job of leading you into truth and to, for you to spiritually discern what's being said in the Scriptures. And to remind you, how many times have I been in a situation and all of a sudden a scripture will come to mind that I needed in that very moment. It might be something I didn't think about for a long time. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit of God will just remind me of it. And I go, oh my goodness, the promise of God. It just came in my mind. I hadn't thought about that scripture in a long time. Ever happened to you? Oh yeah, many times, many times. All right, uh, the second role I want to mention about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin. The world of sin. In fact, the Bible says He comes to convict the world of sin, of the need for righteousness, and of coming judgment. Now, uh, the word convince, or sorry, convict the world is, is the word in the Greek eliko, which means to convince the world of sin, righteousness, and coming judgment. In addition to providing wise counsel, attorneys also provide evidence used to convict criminals. In a similar fashion, the Holy Spirit will prove the sin righteousness and judgment of the world. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he will come, and he will convict the world of what? Sin, righteousness, and coming judgment. That's John chapter 16, verse 7. The third role of the Holy Spirit I'd like to mention to you, uh, other than God, God you, your Holy Spirit convicting a person, is that the Holy Spirit draws the person to God. It's by His Spirit that actually quickens the person and makes them alive in Christ. Literally, uh, that new birth experience is the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart to regenerate the heart, to change the heart. So it's not just the person uh, you know, comes to Christ, but the Holy Spirit actually changes the person's disposition. And that is that no longer an enemy to God, right, but now a friend of God. We talk about Theophilus, a God friend. You know, the Holy Spirit does that work, that life-changing transformation inside the heart. No longer a slave to sin, but a slave unto righteousness. The Holy Spirit breaks the chains of sin, which is that rebellion, that enmity towards God the Bible talks about. And in fact, it's the, uh, the regeneration, the renewal, the washing of the heart. It's all the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it obviously starts with conviction. Now, just a little caveat here. 
Conviction comes sometimes with tears. I don't know about your salvation experience if it came with tears, literal tears, or if you immediately just had so much sorrow in your heart. You thought about all of your many sins before God, and you were like David in Psalms 51 that says, God, I've sinned against you. I've done what is evil on your sight. And recognizing that, and that, that point of contrition, which is godly sorrow over the sin, weeping over sins. You know it's okay to weep over sin. In fact, it's a, it's a legitimate response. And, and I'd like to add, I think even after salvation, when we fall into various temptations and we actually sin against God, I still think there's a place for weeping. Absolutely. I still think there's a place for, of, of, of sorrow over our sins. Let me ask you a question. This is rhetorical. Just When's the last time you wept over your sins? When's the last time you were sorrowful over your sins? Just a question. Think about it. Conviction. Conviction. It, God continually brings conviction in our heart. And he deals with us as his children, right? In the book of Hebrews, it talks about chapter 12 and 13. You don't have to go there, but it says how God, being our Father, deals with us in a sense of he, the Bible says, chastises him whom he loves. He deals with us. That might be another great question. When's the last time that God has dealt with you on your sin? In fact, the fact that he deals with you as children, as sons, and not as what the Bible would say as bastards. I is, illegitimate is, is, children. Illegitimate right. children is evidence that you've been born of God. It is evidence that you've come to faith in Christ. So that means when God gives you a butt whip and you can say, he loves me. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Amen. I wish Gracie would respond that way when I'm whipping her. I'm kidding. <laughs> you love me. <laughs> My son just gives me a pout look and then... Right. And every time he looks at me after he just got punished, he'll cry again. <laughs> I, I told Gracie, look, I love you. That's the reason why we're disciplining you. It don't feel like love at the time, does it? I think later on you go, I needed that. <laughs> you look back and you know your, your, your dad and your mother loved you. That's the reason why they corrected you. Well, here we're moving on from conviction, though sometimes I feel like we shouldn't move too fast beyond that. Uh, you know, I, I, I do feel like I need to say one more thing on that before we move ahead. Conviction is when you recognize guilt. It's when you recognize your shame. It's when you recognize your sin. It's when it comes up in your mind and you see it for what it is. It's like looking in the mirror and seeing that your, your face needs to be washed. You have something right here, or maybe a zit on your face, or maybe your hair is going this way. You, know, you wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror, and you say, man, I have to fix myself up before I go out in public. <laughs> right? Well, that's kind of what conviction is. It, it, it shows yourself in truth, and you see your sins. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, when the commandment came, my sin became exceedingly sinful. I saw it in its true light. I saw how heinous my sin was towards a holy and righteous and just God. Think about it, you know. In the heavens, the angels aren't singing to God, love, love, love is the Lord God Almighty. They're not saying grace, 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 or mercy, mercy, mercy. Would you say that's what's missing in, mo in today's modern evangelism? Oh, one of, one of many things. What, is it, what are they saying? Holy. Thomas has it right. Holy, holy, holy 
it's the Lord God Almighty. Think about that. So our sins are a front to a holy and righteous God, but us as believers, being that we are forgiven when we ask God to forgive us, the Bible says he's, He is faithful and just to not only forgive us, forgive us of our sins, but to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But this conviction is so important. God's Holy Spirit still deals with us as believers. It's not just as an unbeliever that Holy Spirit deals with us. It's just on a different level. Here in the beginning, as a sinner, conviction is brought to recognize I'm apart from God, I'm an enmity towards Him, His wrath abides on me, and I, I'm, I'm going to face Him. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. However, as a believer, it's different, because that's a father dealing with his son. That's an amazing thing. I love that. All right, so moving on from that, uh, the Holy Spirit dwells in believers and fills them. The Holy Spirit is God's presence and, and uh, lives in believers. Here it is, 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Right? Uh, it's funny, Leonard Ravenhill, a great preacher from the past, if you can deal listening to him, he brings incredible conviction. I can't listen to him like five minutes. I'm like, Lord, I, I don't even know if I'm saved now. <laughs> I listen to Paul Washer. But Leonard Ravenhill said, he said, instead of asking people if they're saved, he said he would look at them right in the eyes and he would point to their chest and say, does Christ live in you? Do you have the evidence of the Spirit of God? Right? Instead of because everyone's saved, right? Are you saved? Oh, yeah, I'm saved. He says, is Christ in you? Good question. You know, a little bit deeper there. Is the Absolutely. Holy Spirit dwell inside of you? Remember, 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are God's temple, that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you? Just to make a mention of this, the, the, the church, a lot of times we say we're going to church, right? Going to church. The church, obviously, is not a building. Now, some, to some people, it's not as obvious. Um, I've been to some places and someone will go, let's have church, you know. Well, you can't really go to church and you really can't have church because you are the church. <laughs> church isn't something you have. It's something that you are. It's a position in Christ. It's a body that you belong to, and that's globally, right? Um, so here in America and uh, the other most parts of the earth, believers that belong to Christ are part of, we're all part of that one body, and that makes up that body as those various parts, and then we're all uh, connected together through the Holy Spirit of God which indwells believers. Yeah. So you're, you're literally the temple. You are the, you're carrying your, your church with you. I mean, you are the church. I've heard it said before, I was a youth pastor for like 10 years. So, you know, you hear teenagers talk. One of them will cuss in church, right? And another person will go, oh, you can't do that in church. You can't say that in church. And I, I would always love to say, well, if you can't say it in church, you can't say it nowhere because you are the church. Mm. Right, so it's not about this building. This it's not this holy building that you're that set aside that you can't say this word. No, if you can't use that word here, then you shouldn't use it outside. Right? Amen. Why? Because the Bible says, "Let no filthy language come from your mouth, but only what is good for building others up according to their need, that may benefit those who listen." Where there come praises, should not also come cursing. Right? So dealing with those those different issues, it's not just in a building that we want to act holy, and hopefully you're not acting holy. Hopefully it's, it's real, it's genuine. But it's that you're the church, the representative of Christ. Think about that. Representing Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21 says, Therefore you are now Christ, what? Ambassador. Which is a representative. Amen. <laughs> you're representing the King of all kings. 
the Lord of Lords. Why? You're enabled. The power is there through the Holy Spirit. I want to share with you as well the power that God gives us when He fills us is the power to actually pursue holiness and righteousness. So salvation is not a gift, kind of like a, a door stopper, just to put it under the door so it keeps the door of salvation open, so you can go in and out. No, it's a tool to pursue righteousness, that you might get up again, right? Rise up again and pursue holiness and righteousness. None of us are perfect. We've not obtained any of that. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, that. it's not that I've obtained it. He said, however, he says, I'm forgetting what is behind and straining ahead, right? Heavenward. Not going backwards, but going forward. I'm, I'm growing in my repentance daily, You're overcoming sin, right? And uh, overcoming it to a greater degree. And he said this, he said, I'm trying to apprehend that which has apprehended me. Wow. He says, I'm grabbing on to the hand that's gra- that has... That has we're in Christ's hand. The Bible says no man's going to pluck you out of his hand. Amen. And Paul says, I'm grabbing onto that hand. What's more and I'm striving that, ahead. Christ died for me. I am constrained to live for him. Amen. You know, they say uh, only one life soon shall pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. And we, we, we strive ahead to do things for Christ. But it's empowered. You are enabled to by the Holy Spirit. In fact, here in the Scripture, uh, ch- chapter 1 of uh, the book of Acts, it says, When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. That's verse 8. You will receive power by the Holy Spirit. It will come upon you. and You will be my what? Witnesses. Witnesses. Amen. He will enable you to be a witness. He will enable you to have that boldness. I know a good friend of mine here, Grant, is going to be speaking here very soon. He's going to be giving his testimony. We know he needs power. Is that right, Grant? You're going to need a lot of it, right? He's going to need to pl- be plugged into that power. You know, it's, it's funny. We're at, we're at an outreach one day. It was downtown Mobile. If you know anything about this area, there's a thing called Mardi Gras here. and It's just a bunch of debauchery. Really, it's just a, it's a weekend weeks now, uh, but one day is called Fat Tuesday where people just get drunk and just getting hammered and partying. And I'm in the middle of this park called Bienville Square in Mobile, and I'm preaching the gospel. All of a sudden, the microphone went off, and I'm like, what's going on? So my, my friend's checking the microphone cable. He's checking it on this end, on that end, and he's like, man, I don't know what's going on. The sound system's not on, so he runs through the cables. All the cables are plugged in right, and he's like, man, I don't know what it is. People are listening, so he's trying to get there quick. He, he went all the way down. We had a 100-foot cable, right, that goes all the way down to our generator. The generator's running fine, so it's not that. He goes down, he checks the cord, it's plugged in fine. And he's like, man, I don't know what's going on. Well, we found out it's that somehow somebody was walking through, probably someone drunk, and he tripped over the actual power cord to the actual sound system. And it was just out, just enough to not be connected. How many people know that if you don't have power, you're not going to be able to do nothing? And we found out, hey, if it's not plugged in, that microphone's not going to work. In the same way, the Bible says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness. You'll be enabled to do these things that God gives you to do. So that's a part of that third part of the Holy Spirit, dwelling believers to empower them. The fourth thing is the Holy Spirit is a source of revelation, wisdom, and power. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows the person's thoughts except for their own spirit within them. In the same way, 
No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. God gives His followers the Holy Spirit so that they may know Him better. Since the Holy Spirit is God's Spirit, it knows the thoughts of God and reveals those thoughts to believers through the Word of God. The Holy Spirit opens believers' eyes to the hope of salvation and the inheritance they have in Christ. All right, so the Holy Spirit is a source of revelation, wisdom, and power. And we talked about that earlier, that the Spirit of God leads us into all truth, opens our eyes to the truth, and deepens and widens the Word of God. You know, Charles Spurgeon was talking about reading the Word of God, and he was talking about how, you know, the Scriptures just deepen and widen over the years. The more mature you're in faith, it's amazing. I know you, you know this, uh, Jake, as long as you've been saved. I've been saved for 20 years now. As many times as I've read through the Bible, it's amazing. I can read it and all of a sudden something will catch my attention. It'll mean so much to me. I want to show it to others. But if someone's not where I am in the, in the faith, is not as mature in, in understanding and has that perceptivity because of where I'm at, they might look at it and go, well, well that's good. But it doesn't hit them the same way it's hit me because God has opened my eyes to something because of where I'm at in maturity. So when you go to church, you're not supposed to just show up supposed to grow up, yep. right? Yep. Grow up in maturity and understanding and not just be on the milk of the Word, but the meat. Amen? Go beyond the milk. Paul was dealing with the church of Corinth saying, I can't even deal with you the, to, to the meat of God's Word because you're still on the milk. How does he know that? He said, because you're still quarreling among each other. There's still all these disputes and things like that. You're still acting like children. Yep. He said, you should be far beyond this. You should become teachers by now. But I'm still having to give you the milk. So it's to grow up. And, and our, and our, grow, our growing... The scriptures deepen and they widen. They become more precious to us. They're like jewels as you read the Word of God. All right, so uh, the fifth thing about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit guides us in all truth, including knowledge of what is to come. The Holy Spirit tells us what is yet to come. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. That's John 16, verse 13. Because He guides believers into all truth, Jesus told His disciples the Holy Spirit would make known what he hears and would only speak what the Father speaks. Remember when Jesus would tell a parable and he'd say, He that has what? Ears, let him hear. He that has ears, let him hear. Spiritually discerned. All right, John 16, 13 through 15. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me. Because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father's mind. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Very simple. The Holy Spirit of God will make known to you what the Lord God Almighty has said. And that's through the Word of God when we read it. God illuminates our understanding, our mind, to perceive great spiritual truths and realities, the depths uh, of the Word of God. I mean, you think right now, we're just on verses 1 through 11, and we've been here for three weeks. There's people who could go chapter by chapter and, and miss a lot of what I'm talking about now because either the desire's not there to go deeper, or they're just reading it for the purpose of reading it, right? They're not studying the Word of God. Maybe they don't have a desire to study it, but they just want to read it for saying, okay, I read the Bible. But a true believer desires more. They want to know God. They want to know the one who He has sent. They want to understand Him. You know, 
theology is such an important thing. Having a sound theology is, is vitally important because the reason why it's so important what you believe is because what you believe is what you're going to end up practicing, right? At the end of the day, your, your belief will govern your actions, your steps. Whatever you believe about God, ultimately that's how you're going to live out your life. So the Holy Spirit of God changes your desires. So someone might say, you're saying after a person is saved they can go do whatever they want? Well, the answer to that, you'd think it would be no. It's actually yes. Like, Whoa, wait a minute. Let me explain. Hold on. I'll call your jets. Because God changes your want-tos. God changes your desires. And so now everything you want to do, guess what? Begins to be what He wants you to do. It's you delight in God. Now you delight in doing what He wants to do. So God changes your want-to. Vody Bauckham had a great thing on that. He says, what you're now wanting to do is, is honor and worship and glorify God because God's changed your heart. You're no longer an enemy of Him. You're a friend now. And so your want-to changes. It's not just, okay, I'm saved now. I get to go to heaven. Oh, no, it's, it's not just me going to heaven, but it's heaven getting into me. <laughs> and now I've lived to honor and glorify Him, empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit to do that. So, so you have a drug addict, and he says, how could I ever get, get over this? Well, first of all, your disposition has to be changed. It's not just behavior, behavior modification needs to happen. Because you're going to go right back to those things. If it's just behavior modification, you need a heart change. Yep. When your heart changes, then the things that are killing you, instead of wanting them and desiring them, you see that what they are. It's like, the, it's like the prodigal son. He saw the pig food. Think about it. At one point, he desired it. <laughs> behavior modification does nothing good to you unless you first come to repentance and faith. Think about it. You're looking at pig food, and you want it. I mean, you're literally looking at it like, oh, man, I really want that. Who would do that? That is what, that's how deceiving sin is. Yeah. You are wanting pig food. All of a sudden, the Bible says he came to his senses, saw it for what it was, and he goes, what am I saying? <laughs> what am I thinking? I'm wanting this pig food. He said, my father's servants eat better than this, right? And, and then he sees what he needs to do is to turn around. I want to get through this. So the Holy Spirit also gives us spiritual gifts to believers. Attributes of the Holy Spirit such as wisdom, knowledge, power that are manifested in the lives of believers for the good of others and for the good of the church. More gifts are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7-11. through 11. I mentioned several of them. The gift of helps, the gift of, uh, of service, the gifts of encouragement, the gifts, uh, many gifts of the Spirit. Uh, Words of, of knowledge that would come to you, and I, I don't mean in the mystical sense. Uh, to define that, what I mean when you say word of knowledge, we talk about discernment. God gives you discernment to understand what to do at that moment when you pray. And you know, the Bible says that the sons of God are going to be led by what? The Spirit of the God. The Spirit of God. And so you're going to be led of the Spirit. Now, there are people who've hijacked those phrases, led of the Spirit words of knowledge, things like that. And they've made it to be this mystical thing where everything they think now is like what God's saying. Revelation. You have to be careful with that. How do we know it's from God? It's congruent with His Word. It matches up. That means it lines up with the Word of God. So I'm not just going to think to myself, you know, I think Thomas needs a new job. He needs to leave where he's at now. and I, hey, I just feel that God's giving me a word for him, so I'm going to go tell him that. No, it's not like that. It's, 
It's through God's Word that we find direction in life. That's why we say, the great reformers say, sola scriptura. We rely on God's Word and revelation. If His prophecy is here in the Scriptures, all that, all that God has revealed has already been revealed to the prophets, right? Yep. So if, if you have a word of prophecy, it's, it's not needed because there's already prophecy here, and all the prophecy has been fulfilled. And there's, and, well, actually continuing to be fulfilled. However, the words of wisdom, the words of discernment, the words of knowledge come as I'm a believer living this life, and I'm trying to live it the best way I, I know how in the present time, but I'm seeking for God's direction, and I'm saying, God, lead me. Guide me. I remember listening to uh, R.C. Sproul when he was talking about how he was trying to figure out what job to take. He was either going to take a job here or take a job there. He was either going to be a professor or he's going to be a pastor. And he's really dealing with that. And he was like, God, I need you to lead me. I, I, I don't know what to do here. I, both of them are good things, but where do I go? And he said, I just need an answer. He waited for a week. He prayed. And he said it was almost, it seemed so random, but a guy called him at like 2 in the morning and said, he said, look, he said, R.C., I, I don't know why I'm even calling you. I know it's 2 in the morning. This is crazy. He said, but you need to take that job at this place. The Lord literally gave him words of knowledge to tell R.C. So in the same way I said earlier about, like, you need to take this job over there, God can do that. But it's not, what I mean by it's not uh, something that he does, it's not like regular, like every single day I'm just going to have words for everybody, you know. Uh, there are people who act like that, like they just have a word for everybody and every second, like God's just speaking to them. And it's been said that they, God speaks to some people now more than he did the prophets. They just want to prophesy over everybody. But the Holy Spirit of God does give gifts and does give revelation and knowledge and does give instruction and information that we need to pass on to other, other believers and it will be confirmed inside that believer, here's how it will. They'll have peace. Peace in the situation. And that's what R.C. said. He said, as soon as that guy said that, he says, like a load just lifted off of his shoulders. And he knew it was God. So we have to test the things spoken. That's what I'm trying to say. When people speak to ourselves, we need to speak what God's given us, but we also need to test that and make sure it's, God, it's really God. If I feel troubled in my spirit about what's being said, then obviously... There's something that I need to look into deeper. I need to pray about it and I search the Scriptures and I need to seek God on it. Furthermore, uh, the, seventh question, the seventh thing the Holy Spirit does is that the Holy Spirit is the seal in the lives of the believers. When I say seal, I mean it, He seals a person, like sealing an envelope, okay? In the ancient world, a seal was a legal signature, attesting ownership and validating what it was sealed. The Holy Spirit is our mark of adoption as God's children. So I've been marked by heaven, right? That's what we're really saying. Is I've, been, I've been sealed by heaven. I've been branded by heaven. I am His. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to His followers so that they could be confident in their salvation. So there is an assurance in our salvation. There's a, a complete assurance that I know I'm saved, I know I know Christ, and I know I'm His. Just as you might have a deposit or a down payment on a new car to make sure the salesperson doesn't sell it to anyone else, the Holy Spirit is the deposit in our lives confirming the validity of Christ's message that we belong to Christ. Amen? Amen? And you also, here it is, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. You were marked in Him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit who is the deposit 
Guaranteeing our, <laughs> I love this. I can't help but laughing. It's just so, brings me so much joy. Is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of, the, of His glory. That's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Amen. I just want to read that again. It's just, that's so good, man. Write that down. If you're writing down notes, please. Ephesians 1, 13. Let's read it one more time. And you were also included in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal. The promise of the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Amen. To the praise of His glory. I love uh, Lecrae a long time ago. One of his albums, Rebel, he said, he said, I can't lose the Spirit. I'm all sealed up. I'm all sealed up. He sealed me. I'm His. Amen. That's just such a, such a peace in my heart as I read that. I just love it. All right. So He seals us. That's another thing of the Holy Spirit. Okay, here's another attribute or work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps in a Christian's weakness and intercedes for them. Amen? Amen. We all have times where we feel weak and don't know what to do. The Holy Spirit helps us line up with God's will during those times by interceding for us. Here it is, Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. And the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Wow. The ninth thing, the Holy Spirit makes believers new and gives them eternal life. We talked about that earlier. I want to touch on the actual verse here. The Holy Spirit works in the lives of the believers to renew, sanctify, and make us holy. Just as the Holy Spirit raised Christ from the dead, the Holy Spirit would give eternal life to the believers in Christ. Okay, Romans chapter 8, verses 10 through 11. But if Christ is in you, that's a question, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of the righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, right? We just said that. The same right power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. Here's the, here's the scriptural proof of that. If... The Spirit of Him who, what? Raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to you and your mortal bodies because of, the, because of His Spirit who lives in you. The last attribute, I know I'm running on time here. I know there's a lot to include here. I hope this, this is okay, guys. The Holy Spirit sanctifies and enables believers to bear good fruit in their lives. Amen? He's enabled me to live for Christ. He's enabled me to bear the fruit of the Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit in a Christian's life is an ongoing process of becoming holy through sanctification. That is to be set apart to do the work of God. Through the conviction and power of the Holy Spirit, believers will not indulge in sinful acts of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16-21. through 21. But will bear the good fruit of the Spirit, which is found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22-25. I want to share about four verses with you on the Holy Spirit, and we're going to kind of land this plane here. After they prayed in the place where they were meeting together, it was shaken. That was Acts chapter 4, verses 31. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. Here in the text in, in Acts chapter 4, 
they were actually praying for boldness. What had happened before that was, the, if you remember in Acts chapter 3, the man at Gate Beautiful was healed. Remember, they said, silver and gold, we do not have Peter and John. The man received his strength and his ankle bones became strong, his feet, his legs, he rose. And he just walked. The Bible says he ran, he jumped, he danced in a place called Solomon's Colonnade. And everyone knew he was the man crippled from birth. What happened from that is uh, they strictly warned again. The disciples are no longer speaking his name. And what happened? They said, judge for yourself what is right in the sight of God to obey you rather than God. And they went on, you know, sharing and testifying and preaching boldly. Why? They, the Spirit of God empowered them. However, here they are again being arrested. And we find this verse here. They're going to be arrested. And uh, there's a teacher named Gamel, Gamaliel that uh, was a respected teacher there, a rabbi. And he said, listen, leave these men alone. And his reasoning was legitimate. He said, he said remember Thaddeus? He rose up. He, he got about 400 men following him. He, he acted like he was somebody, a savior. But he died and everybody scattered. He said, remember this other Judas? He rose up and people followed him. They ended up scattering. He said, listen, if, if this guy Jesus, if, he's just, if this is just of man, it'll happen again. The same thing. These, these men will come to nothing. It'll just diminish. He said, however, if it's of God, it cannot be stopped. Amen. He said, you'll literally find yourself fighting against the hand of God. Wow. Hmm. So here they pray. That's where that prayer is mentioned. It, it says that the literal the place was shaken and they were filled with God's Spirit. What happened when they were filled with the Spirit? They spoke the Word of God boldly. I want you to notice that. They, God enabled them to preach the, the Word of God. Romans 8, 16 through, or sorry, 14 through 16, For those who are led of the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought you your, about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, what? Abba, Father. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 says, God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. The last verse I'll share with you is Titus 3, verses 4 through 6. He saved us through the washing and the rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So Acts chapter 1, verses 9 it says, And when he had said these things, giving instruction for them to go into Jerusalem and to stay there and to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit to come, he said, When the Spirit of God comes, you will receive power. Now in that one verse, I know we just pulled out a whole lot. I just, I just gave you seven pages. And that, I'm just telling you, I'm being real honest when I say this, that was just the tip of the iceberg. Tip of the iceberg, guys. What I just gave you, though it was a lot, and though it was in depth, and though we talked about all that the Holy Spirit comes to give, I just think we cannot truly grasp, truly, what this one scripture means in our lives. I mean, it doesn't, we, we can't, I feel like I cannot do it justice, what God has done by giving us that power, enabling us to live holy lives, enabling us to have spiritual gifts, enabling us to overcome sin, enabling us to be strengthened when we're weak, enabling us by interceding for us, washing us, renewing us, giving us that new birth, changing our hearts, holding us to the end, right? God preserves us to the end. He starts the work. He finishes the work, right? He's the author, the perfecter. 
He sanctifies us. He sets us apart for God's work. Just, it's amazing, guys. So I know we went over a lot there, but I want to also give chance for uh, Q&A. And uh, we've gone over time. I already know that. My watch tells me we're five minutes still. So if there's any questions, if there's any response to what I've said, if there's anything you want to add in, this is a good time to do it. So in the comment section, if you're watching live, this is your time. My buddy Jake here is going to be watching the comment section. And if you have anything to say, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you do get in the comment section after we're done, we will also respond. We will join you in that comment section. We'll talk to you right there. So any comments, any questions, any thoughts? Jake, anything? I, I've been contemplating this thought. That is such, it's, it's an amazing thought to me how all this is a work of grace. Do you realize that? Hold it from start to finish. Yes, sir. Start to finish. You know why that is? Because none of us are deserving of this grace. We started out as hell-bound, rebellious, hostile haters of God, enslaved to sin in the kingdom of darkness, translated to the kingdom of light of God's dear Son. And we deserve His just wrath. But all of us right now seated in this room and those of you watching online, you're here today because Christ saved you. He translated you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And because you're taking part with the church, with the body of Christ universal in the word of truth, you're being fed daily by the Spirit, mm. enlightening your, your eyes, your hearts. And you're being fed that truth. You're being not just fed spiritual milk, but now you're given meat, meat of the Word of God. You're rightly dividing the Word of truth when before your eyes were darkened, enslaved to sin. And yet it's all of grace. Well said, man. Well said. And I, I, think, I think the preserving work of the Spirit really overwhelms my heart. I think about God preserving me. I mean, I've been saved for 20 years, and I've been through a lot of, of trials and tribulations, and I... I think of the song Amazing Grace, you know, he's, he's brought me safe thus far. And 20 years later, he's, he's going to lead me home, Jay. He's yeah. going to lead me all the way. I know I'm going to get across the finish line. I, I'm, I'm confident in that because what he starts, he's going to finish. The only problem is a lot of times we think our own legs are going to bring us there. Oh, no. It's his gracious hand. I mean, think about it, man. He has preserved you. He has kept you. He's so gracious. So faithful, man. Yeah. Any other comments or questions about what I've talked about? Got a room full here, by the way, of great godly men. Two guys. <laughs> by the way, you can join us uh, in person at Grand Bay Community Church across the street from the post office in Grand Bay any Monday night at 6 p.m. You're more than welcome. We have coffee here and, and cake to help you ruin your diet. <laughs> I've been staring at that case. What were you going to say, Grant? What was that Latin phrase you said in the beginning? The Latin phrase? Yeah, it was about obeying God, I think. Uh, it was in my paperwork I just threw, so I'll give that to you in a minute. <laughs> uh, yes, so I think it uh, is the word skeletos. Skeletos, I think it is. I'll, I'll give you the, the actual pronunciation, but uh, the sanctifying work of God, of course, is God uh, causing us to obey Him. It's, it's, of course, love. The Bible says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So our love towards God is shown through our works, right? I can't, there's no way I can just communicate, I love you, God. But when I have works that come from my faith, right, that produce the product of my faith, brings God glory, right? We say sola dio gloria. 
That is, to God be the glory alone. And so our life, uh, I love it in the Westminster Catechism, it says, uh, what is the chief end of man? It's to bring glory to God and to enjoy Him forever. Amen. So we're literally able to enjoy Him now and forever. Uh, his glory and His majesty, uh, you know, being revealed to us in a deeper level all the way through life. And then, of course, that one day, that sanctifying work is going to bring us all the way into heaven. And God's Word says that His work in us will be perfected. And that's another work of, of the Holy Spirit is that I know, Thomas, what you're thinking. <laughs> you're thinking, I'm not who I should be. There's so much more to do, isn't there? Are you a work in progress? Yeah, he's got a lot of work to do, don't he? He's got his work cut out for him. Me too. Spurs, you two on the background there. Kevin, Kevin uh, on the ones and twos, always uh, faithful to uh, do our production. Uh, we all together, collectively, in this room, and those who are watching online, we need to be perfected. And God's Word says that God will perfect what He started in us. That means that, yes, there's areas right now that you can see that you need to be sorrowful over. Maybe that you need even weep over your sins and to think about Christ dying for you and, and that place of repentance and saying, I need to turn from this. It's, it's great, man, to look in the mirror and say, you know what? I'm not who I should be. I'm not even who I, I want to be. But I'm not who I used to be. <laughs> look back and say, man, I've gone a long way. <laughs> God's drugged me kicking and screaming. What are you going to say, Grant? Almost every day. I'm not who I'm going to be. God's bringing me. He's getting me there. So it's a process. Amen. It's a process. He's bringing me there. Anyway, so much has been said in just one verse. I love it. I felt like it was the most important thing for us to talk about is the Holy Spirit and what He's going to do because I know that Spurs can't wait for me to get to Acts chapter 2. He can't wait. I can see it on his face. But hey, next week, uh, Monday, we're going to be going into the next section of Scripture. We're finally moving past verse 11 into verse 12, 13, and 14 and following. And the next thing to be excited about is the actual replacement of Judas. That's what we're going to be reading next. And uh, so I hope you'll join us next week at 6 p.m. May God bless you. Uh, may, may, his, may, may He make His face to shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace. We'll see you next Monday at 6 p.m. See you guys. Thank you for joining me for the study of the book of Acts. Every Monday, we will cover the next section of Scripture. This study can also be found on your favorite podcasting platform by subscribing to The Evangelism Podcast, found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as Anchor. Please subscribe also to our YouTube channel, Reach My City Evangelism, and hit the bell notification so you won't miss anything. Also available on the Apple App Store as well as the Android Google Play Store, Search for our free app. It's called Reach My City. Once downloaded, you can access all of our content. It's like having a personal evangelism assistant with you at all times. Each week, this study streams live at 6 p.m. Central on my personal Facebook page, Johnny Gaston. Please send me a friend request so that we can connect to help you reach your city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make His face to shine upon you be gracious to you and give you peace.